0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
2: And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation
3: may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
4: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
5: Hello and welcome along to Attaboy Clarence once again. This week we're all about Joan. Not Rivers, not Crawford. Not of Ark? Nope, this week belongs to Warner's finest Miss Joan Blondell, the fabulous star of so many movie greats during the Golden Age. We have reviews of three Blondell classics, as well as a double bill of radio appearances, so if you're sweet for the bubbliest blonde of them all, then stay tuned. We've got more Who the Hell is That Hollywood Legend coming up in a sec, but settling us in, as always, a musical selection. This time from Mr. Blondell himself, Dick Powell, with I Only Have Eyes For You.
6: Are the stars up tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright Cause I only have eyes for High, but I can't see a thing in the sky, because I only have eyes. crowded avenue, you are here, so am I, maybe millions of people go by, but they all disappear from you, and I only i
5: And that was Dick Powell with I Only Have Eyes For You. Hey, a small heads up. For those of you who know Hollywood at all, you may be familiar with the Larry Edmonds shop it's been in loads of movies in fact the last one it popped up in was last year's once upon a time in hollywood well the shop is apparently in trouble due to the covid-19 lockdown and the man who runs it Jeff Mantor has reached out and asked me to tell you that he's begun a go fund me in order to raise money so I'll leave a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to take a look at that hang in there jeff i'm sure he has plenty of books on his website to send out to you if you're in the mood for some hollywood biographies Some more lockdown related news. Everyone has been asking for more movie nights where we gather together and watch classic movies together as part of the film club. Well, it's such a little slice of heaven to hang out with you fine folks that why wouldn't I do more of it? Therefore, as of this Sunday, May the 3rd, every Sunday night will be film club night. For as long as the lockdown lasts. If you're a co-producer of the show, just log in at patreon.com/slash AttaboySecret and you'll see a post pinned to the top of the page which has a permanent invitation link inside. Click that link at 7.30 pm British summertime every Sunday night. And there we shall be our gorgeous little community waiting for you to watch a movie with you. This week we're watching one of Alfred Hitchcock's greatest and most underrated thrillers, Foreign Correspondent. I'm so excited. So be there every Sunday night. See you there. Well, before we head off to Joniland how's about we take a stab at guessing the identity of a very well-known star of the Golden Age. You ready? Well, then, prick up those ears and see if you can tell. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend?
4: Now we come to the special feature of our program, the of our mystery celebrity for which my colleagues on the panel are asked to blindfold themselves, as you all know. Blindfolds in place, panel. Good. Will you come in, Mystery Challenger, and sign in, please? (laughs) All right, panel. As you know, in the case of our Mystery Challenger, different form of questioning. One question at a time, in turn, moving clockwise, and let's begin with Martin Gable. Are you... A woman. Mm-mm. One down and nine to go, Miss Francis.
7: Are you primarily known for your work in pictures? hmm
4: Mr. Allen. Uh, have you any connection uh, specifically with the field of comedy?
7: hmm
4: Two down and eight to go, Miss Kilgallen.
0: Have you and I ever waltzed at the Waldorf for the March of Dimes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three down and
4: seven to go, Mr. Gable. Have you and I ever waltzed?
8: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dorothy, that no to you was no. I haven't, but I'd like to. I think. Oh, thank you.
4: And uh, what was it to me, though?
7: The, the uh, are you here to uh, publicize a picture that is about to open? <laughs>
4: Mr. Allen.
7: Is that what is that?
4: That's yes. There's a the picture opening. Are you in the leading man area?
8: Mm-mm. <laughs> is that a yes? Mm-mm.
4: That's a no. Now, this is a strict interpretation of the category leading man. That's five down and five to go, Miss Well
8: Now, he's already said no to comedy, hasn't he? Right. He's not primarily a comedian. Uh, then are you a character man, a character mm-hmm. lead type? Mm-hmm.
4: Yes mm-hmm. and no, yes and no. Mr. Gable? Are you always a tenor? <laughs> are you always a tenor?
7: <laughs>
4: no. That makes it the $6.40 Miss Francis.
7: Would I be correct in assuming that you are not, uh, that you are known more as an actor rather than a singer or dancer? Mm-hmm.
4: Mr. Allen? Were you born in a country other than the United States?
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Miss Kilgallen?
0: Well, I don't know whether that's, mm. that's yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, British Isles?
4: Mm-hmm. That's seven down and three to go, Mr. Gable. So, no. Continent of Europe? Europe I guess.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: That's yes, Miss Francis?
7: Well, I saw a picture in the Sunday Times today of a man that we all like very much that's in pictures, in a new picture, and he's a, he's a very sad-eyed, innocent villain.
5: We'll stop it there. Do you have an idea? Well, hold on to it for now and we'll reveal the answer later in the show.
9: I don't know if he deserves a bit of sympathy. Forget your sympathy. It's alright with me. I was satisfied to drift along from day to day. Till they came and took my man away. Remember my forgotten man? You put a rifle in his hand. You sent him far away. You shouted, Hip Hooray! But look at him today. Remember my forgotten man. You had him cultivate the land. He walked behind a plough the sweat fell from his brow but look at him right now and once he used to love me i was happy then he used to take care of me won't you bring him back again cause ever since the world began a woman's got to have a man forgetting him you see means you're forgetting me like my my forgotten man
0: I'll come.
5: That was Etta Moten singing the high bits, and the star of today's show, Miss Joan Blondell, with the talky singing bits at the beginning. Yes, today is all about the Blondell bombshell herself, Miss Joan Blondell, patron saint of so many Warner treasures. Everyone loves Joan Blondell. There's not a soul on the planet whose little heart doesn't light up like a firework the moment that smile hits you between the eyes. She was romantically involved with the would-be heir to the Warner Brothers empire, Lewis Warner, before his tragic and untimely death. She's perhaps best known for her nine films with Glenda Farrell or the seven films she made with her real-life best pal, James Cagney, with whom she arrived in Hollywood. Jack Warner wanted her to change her name to the more exotic-sounding Inez Holmes. But she wisely told him to go take a leap. Do you know she wrote an autobiography that she masked as a novel named Center Door Fancy? Or perhaps you know her best as Vi the Waitress in Greece, giving Frenchie some career advice before the beauty school dropout number. No
10: use crying over spilled milkshake.
5: Whatever you know her best for, you do know her. Bubbly Blonde wisecracking queen of pre-code, Miss Joan Blondell, is the star of today's show. First up today, one of the more entertaining Warner gangster movies and starring Joan against big hitters Edward G. Robinson, Humphrey Bogart and Frank McHugh. This is 1936's Bullets or ballots. You can
9: look at that crowd out there? I'll say. Boil shirts all over the place. How's your routine, Mary? Swell, it's in the bag. Good. How about your number,
2: Eddie? Is it clicking?
4: Not Broadway for a loop.
2: Never mind, Broadway. Concentrate on the customers out there. Now, this is the biggest play we've ever had from downtown. And if our show gets over, we'll be packing them in. So go out there and give them everything.
10: Say, we'll have them right on the floor. We're
2: having a tough enough time keeping the seats filled. <laughs>
5: Robinson plays Johnny Blake, one of New York's most renowned tough guy police detectives who's shown a begrudging level of respect by the city's criminals for his fairness, but also because of his ultra-tough methods. Joan plays Blake's on-and-off girlfriend, Lee Morgan, who's always wanted Johnny to quit the force and work with her to build an empire.
2: I was wondering if you'd like to come in with me and help me run the numbers game. (laughs)
11: Say, you've got all the help you need.
2: I won't have. It's getting bigger all the time. Some weeks it takes in from 10 to 12,000. 12,000? In that Penny Andy game?
10: Uh Well, last time you told me about it, you were getting nickels and dimes.
2: I know, but they're crazy about it in Harlem, and now it's going over in the Bronx. I wish you'd come in and help me run it, Johnny. You'd make a swell job of building it up. You'd make a lot of money for both
5: of us. The chance finally comes when Johnny is booted off the force. As he's already so respected by the underworld, big-time crime boss Al Kruger, played by Barton McLean, decides to recruit Johnny as his number two guy, which makes his former number two guy,
10: Bugs Fenner, played by Bogart, quite mad indeed. Oh, Blake's the name. How about getting out of here? I asked Johnny in here. And I'm asking him out. No Bronx detective's going to hang around this office. Listen, Fenn... Never mind, Al. Fenn can't forget the week he spent at the hospital after he took a swing at me. I don't think much of him either.
5: Wonderfully entertaining film, this one, and a superb example of that bang-bang-bang style of storytelling that Warners did so well. It's partly inspired by the real-life story of notoriously brutal New York detective Johnny Broderick, and the twists and turns in the story really do ratchet up the tension. What I love most about it is its refusal to follow any kind of formula. It begins as your standard good cop against a system type story and then develops into a truly intriguing mystery with one of those gut-wrenchingly tense situations at its heart. In this case, we learn quite early on that Johnny was never kicked off the force. He just pretended to be in order to infiltrate the gangs. And if he's discovered, then his life and the lives of those he loves will be snuffed out swiftly and violently. So you get this gloriously anxious game of cat and mouse at the heart of the film. How will Johnny communicate with his superiors? What if someone gives him away? And how can he keep his relationship with Blondell alive? She detests him entirely for having gone full gangster and for stealing her numbers racket, but he can't possibly tell her why. Bogart is brilliant in this. He's a complete rat, but a deadly one. You wouldn't be surprised to find out that he cut the throat of his own family, so to see him slowly stalking after the truth behind Johnny makes for some delicious knuckle-gnawing tension. And Joan, of course, is just perfection in her role as the bad girl with the heart of a good girl.
10: You want to go back in the numbers game? What are you
9: trying to do, kid me?
10: You started this racket. You ought to have a share in it.
9: I suppose Mr. Blake will let me have it.
10: He'll have nothing to say about it. I'm running things from now on. If you want the Bronx and Harlem Districts, they're yours. If you need protection, you'll get it. You don't trust me.
9: I don't trust anybody.
10: Neither do I. We ought to work fine together. How about it?
9: You're going to take it away from Blake? Yeah. Go ahead and take it.
12: All in
5: all, it's a very clever gangster movie with the addition of a superb mystery element. If you think that all the Warner gangster movies follow the same basic formula, then do check out Journey in 1936's Bullets or Ballads. Amazing stuff. On to 1932's Miss Pinkerton, a pre-code mystery thriller starring Joan with George Joan stars as Nurse Adams, who's called in to take care of the ailing matriarch of a family whose son has just been shot to death.
0: I may as well tell you, this is an unusual case. You're really working for police headquarters. Inspector Patton will introduce himself to you when you arrive. Now, there may be some excitement, nervous strain involved in it. If you don't want to go, I'll send someone else. But on the other hand, I think you're fitted to the job. If you don't mind a change from hospital routine.
9: Mind a change? Oh, lady, if you only knew.
5: Investigating is Sergeant Patton, played by George Brent, who teams up with Nurse Adams and dubs his unofficial assistant Miss Pinkerton after the famed detective agency, because basically she's going to be doing all the detecting.
2: Well, what's my rank? Hello? What? My rank, my title. If I'm going to be with the police force, what am I? A female copper or a disinfected stool pigeon?
10: Well, let's see. You're a Pinkerton. That's it. Miss Pinkerton of Scotland Yard.
1: Yeah.
9: Oh, that's well.
5: Now, I hasten to say that I could not, for one minute, work out what was going on with the mystery miss pinkerton there are so many suspects too many in fact they creep in and out of rooms they listen at keyholes they each have their motivations in the end the clues don't really count and any of them could have done it it's like they just picked a name out of a hat what i do like about this is the crazy inventive way it was shot i mean some of the shots in this film are for the ages it's an incredibly well shot film with some amazing visually inventive touches I also love that Joan plays a sleuth in an old dark house mystery. I mean, George Brent is here and he gets second billing. She really was commanding films at this point and I love that.
2: I was just looking for something to read. At
5: breakfast, miss?
2: Well, frankly, Hugo, I come from a long distinguished line of billy goats and we always like to gobble a few chapters of Shakespeare before we tackle our cornflakes.
5: I've seen enough mystery movies from this period to know that sometimes it is not about the plot. Sometimes it's about the stars and what they do. It's about the way your story is being presented. It's about the general vibe of the thing and the ways in which it holds your attention, either through humor or wisdom. This has humor, wisdom and charm. It's a little bit baffling, yes, but Joan is brilliant. The scream she does into the camera is superb. The production design's beautiful. And the invention on display is more than enough to keep you watching and guessing till the end. If you're a fan of the murder mystery genre, and in particular the subgenre of old dark house horror murder mystery, then Miss Pinkerton is one of the good guys. I mean, gals. Lastly, a bit of a star vehicle with Joan heading the bill. Alongside her in this definitely, definitely pre-code drama is Anne Vorshak, Betty Davis, Warren William, Humphrey Bogart, Alan Jenkins, Edward Arnold, Glenda Farrell, so pretty much everyone who ever worked at Warner Brothers. And you can see why Warner's threw the kitchen sink at this thing. It's one of those stories that definitely lodges itself in your brain and refuses to leave. It has everything. Coming of age, crime, love, betrayal, drug addicts, gambling, gangsters kidnappers and probably the most shocking ending of all the warner crime movies this is of course 1932's three on a match
8: three
9: on a match what's the difference
7: will there be anything else if there is don't tell me about it well all in all i've had a great day in fact it's been darn near perfect i'm certainly glad you got that job in the show and treated to a swell luncheon little mary's doing all right for herself I sincerely envy both of you. Now
2: look who's talking, will you? Did you get a flash of that 50-foot kitty car outside with the Russian Grand Duke for a chauffeur?
7: I wish I could get as big a kick out of it as you got of this luncheon. Must be a grand feeling to have everything you want. If it is, I never had it. Oh, I suppose I should be the happiest woman in the world. Beautiful home, successful husband, and a nice youngster, but... Add it all up and it spells herring, is that it? Somehow the things that make other people happy leave me cold. I guess something must have been left out of my makeup. I think I want
8: things, passionately.
5: We follow the lives and fortunes of three girls. Mary, played by Joan Blondell; Vivian, played by Anne Vorchak, and Ruth, played by Betty Davis, as they go from childhood to adulthood, falling in and out of love and luck along the way. In adulthood, they come together again. Mary... Who was always considered the least likely to succeed is a showgirl who's turned her life around through honesty and hard work. Ruth is a meek stenographer who's never really strayed off the straight and narrow. Vivian, who was always the most judgmental when they were kids, has married Robert Kirkwood, played by Warren William, a hotshot New York lawyer with whom she has a young
13: son, Robert Jr. Just what is it, Vivian? I know you're asleep with your eyes open. What do you mean? Why do you avoid me? Have I done anything to offend you?
7: No, it isn't you. I don't know what it is. I just seem fed up with everything.
13: I've noticed that. But I thought it was just a mood that would pass. But Vivian isn't
5: happy. Despite denouncing the wrong side of life since she was a kid, she's utterly bored by her marriage, her son, and the grandiose life she's drifted into. It's then that she meets low-life hoodlum Michael, played by Lyle Talbot.
1: You don't know what life is.
8: But I suppose you could show me. I never met a man yet who didn't ask to try.
14: Yeah? Well, listen. Keep on stalling and backing away, and then someday they'll quit asking you.
8: Oh, I'm getting too old. Is that it?
4: Oh, darling. I didn't say that. Why, to me, you're the most marvellous girl in the world.
5: Deciding to follow her heart instead of her head... Vivian takes Robert Jr. and embarks on a hedonistic lifestyle of drink and drugs, shabbily shuffling from tenement block to hotel room, from party to drug den, from one form of substance abuse to the next, dragging her little boy behind her.
2: It doesn't make any difference what you do, but I think it's kind of unfair to expose the kid to this kind of business. And what would you suggest? Let me take him. We can get Ruth or someone like that to take care of him. Ruth has a sister, a widow, and a baby at the house. They can take care of the two. And they're nice, respectable
9: people. Oh, they're respectable, are they? Well, that would be a change, wouldn't
5: it? Robert is, of course, frantic about losing his young son and mounts a citywide search for him. But even as he rides into the rescue, Vivian and her little boy have been noticed by one of the city's most powerful gangsters, Ace, played by Edward Arnold, who decides to exploit this run-down former society queen and her young son
15: in
10: order to make a fortune. What do you want here? Ace happened to be listening in on the radio. Radio? Yeah, he likes those shortwave police calls. They give him ideas. I don't understand. You'll find out. There's a lot more in this deal than 2,000 bucks. Ace figures we might as well all cut in.
8: Say, you got a nerve button into my flat like this? Get out!
10: Go on, get in that room and shut up.
8: You mustn't hurt my mama.
10: Okay, I'll bear that in
5: mind. And I won't go any further in terms of plot. Despite what you might be thinking about where the story's going, you will be wrong. Now, I've seen a lot of pre-code movies, an awful lot of them. And half the time, I think that just because they were made before 1934, they're kind of branded with this illicit tag. They were made during the pre-code era, therefore they must be a little bit more savage than most. That's not true all the time. Usually they're a little bit more liberated than most, but not that scandalous. There are exceptions. Babyface is an absolute riot, for example. Safe in Hell definitely takes some risks. Night Nurse, The Divorcee, they all feel like very different films to the others. And Three on a Match is definitely in that category too. Now, if you've seen Three on a Match, you will most certainly remember the ending. I remember the first time I saw it. Kind of wondering what all the fuss was about. And then you hit the halfway mark and it turns from this rather well-plotted melodrama into a spiralling nightmare of abuse and violence. The whole sinking into drug addiction element is very squalid, and the brutality of the crime story and the sight of the little boy staggering around the drug den looking for food is tremendously upsetting. It's Robert Jr.'s plight, more than any other characters, that really turn this film into an almost horror story. The scene where the gangsters are arguing over who's going to shoot him is bad enough. But the sight of Vivian being the worst mother on earth is equally as tough. Mommy,
8: I'm hungry. Who's mama's little honey bunch hungry? Here, have some of those. I don't like those anymore. Can I have bread mill
5: The ending, though, I have to say, is one of those gut-punch moments that could only have happened in pre-code cinema. The power of it will stun you and its effects are felt long after the film finishes moments later. You're left with this half-redemption, half-disgust, and all you want to do is shower that crawling terror away from your skin. As a drama, it's a really impressive piece of work. Everyone is outstanding in it. Anne Vorschach is superb, I have to say, and she's matched only by Joan Blondell. Three on a match really was Warner Brothers firing on all cylinders and putting their crime sensibilities to work and telling a quite affecting story. If you haven't seen it before, prepare to be winded. Okay, a trio of Joan movies there then, and a duo of radio appearances from her. Yes, a double bill of the glorious Miss Blondell this week. First up, we're revisiting Miss Pinkerton. Yes, so successful was Joan in the role that in 1941 they gave her her very own radio series where she played not a nurse, but a lawyer who inherits a detective agency. It's very fun, and Joan stars in it opposite her real-life husband at the time, Dick Powell. After that, we're taking a trip over to the Lux Radio Theatre, where we'll be hearing Joan alongside Dick Powell again in their original roles as Lux presents an adaptation of the 1941 comedy Model Wife. Also in the cast for this one is Verna Felton as Miss Benson. You might not recognise the name, but you'll certainly recognise the voice if you're a Disney fan. She provided the voices of the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland, Mrs Jumbo in Dumbo, Flora the Red Fairy in Sleeping Beauty, and many, many others. So a double bill of Warner's finest bombshell as we join Joan Blondell, the best gal power Warner's ever produced. See you afterwards.
12: Miss Pinkerton Incorporated. Starring Joan Blondell and Dick Powell. We present the first in a new series of half-hour comedy detective dramas complete in each episode, yet featuring the same principal characters in situations of adventure, thrills, and romance. To begin at the beginning, as is customary and proper, the saga of Mary Vance, who may be described as a career woman, and Dennis Murray, whose occupation will be explained later, began of all places on the placid campus of Cornell University. The exact place was the reception room of Mary's dormitory, the time
16: just a little while ago. And so you see, Miss Vance, because of your cousin's untimely death, Your late uncle's detective agency now belongs to you.
2: Well, that was awfully sweet of Uncle Mike, but what do I want with a detective agency? After all, I'm a lawyer, or I will be if I can scrape up enough money to finish my course.
16: You will then sell the agency? Certainly. Your Uncle Michael made quite a name for himself as its head, and the business should be worth a considerable sum.
2: Well, the next move is New York, huh?
16: Yes, you'd have to go in any event in order to settle the estate. The sale can be arranged later.
2: How soon must I be there? Right away. Mr. Jones, I'm almost in New York right now.
1: I beg your pardon. Is a seat taken?
2: I don't see anyone in it.
1: May I sit down?
2: As long as you paid your fare, I don't see why not.
1: You don't mind if I sit on your books and magazines?
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. There you are.
1: Thank you. No, oh, I see you're reading the case of the missing thumb. Like it?
2: Why, did you write it? Oh, no,
1: no, no. Just read it myself a few weeks ago. How nice. Well, it's not a bad mystery, but it falls off toward the end, don't you think?
2: I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. Want
1: to know who done it?
2: No, I don't want to know who done it. I just want to read my newspaper in peace. Do you mind?
12: Oh, no, 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 no.
1: Uh, huh, how's Superman doing
12: today?
2: Yeah. See for yourself. Thanks. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> oh, that's Superman! What a president he'd make! Oh my! Uh, these streamlined trains are certainly quiet, aren't they? Huh? I uh, said these new trains are not at all noisy, are they?
2: No, and I wish I could say the same for you. <laughs> only seat left in the diner. Hey,
12: Adam, I'm sure
17: a gentleman won't mind you sitting at his table.
1: Ah, what could be more pleasant than gazing at a fair lady over one's mashed potatoes? Of course I don't mind. Thank you. You're very welcome. Have a menu? Thanks again. May I suggest the macaroni gratin? It'll take the wrinkles out of your tummy and put them under your chin.
2: Waiter, I'll dine when the car is less crowded. ma'am... Besides, I'm allergic to drafts, and there's certainly a big one blowing through the car right now.
1: And So we leave the diner and we're back in the club car where our beautiful friendship had its beginning.
2: Look, don't you want to lie down and play dead?
1: Oh, come, come. We have three hours of travel ahead. Why not break down and get conversational? I'm not on the make, honest.
2: Said he with a leer.
1: Really, I'm not. Now, what's wrong with a little conversation to make a train trip shorter?
2: Nothing, I suppose.
1: My name is Dennis Michael Murray. What's yours?
2: It's, it's, it's Esmeralda. Esmeralda Higgins.
1: Esmeralda Higgins. Well, it's, uh... Pretty name. Thank you. Are you going to New York State?
2: No, just visiting. Are
1: you planning anything different? I'm five or...
2: feet three inches tall. I weigh 118 pounds. I smoke occasionally, drink less occasionally, and I study law at Cornell.
1: A lawyer? You? <laughs>
2: What's funny about that?
12: Well, if you'd said anything else, a model or a nurse, even a lady barber,
1: but a lawyer. <laughs>
2: What's wrong with my being a lawyer?
1: Well, you're not the career girl type, that's
12: oh, all. Oh,
2: so you analyze character, too. Sure,
1: sure. You're the maternal type. I can see mother love shining out of those beautiful blue eyes. You know, the thing for you to do is to marry some nice fella, set her down in a rose-covered cottage... And raise
2: dozens of children, I suppose.
1: Sure, that's better than raising dozens of affidavits. You know,
2: your kind of thinking went out with the horse and buggy, e and Believe me, that's where I wish you were right now. So if you'll pardon my back, I'd like to look at the scenery.
12: Well, Miss Higgins, we've come to the end of our journey.
1: But that shouldn't end our friendship, now should it?
2: I don't see why not, Mr. Mulligan.
1: Murray. Oh, no kidding, Esmeralda. Let's be friends. I'm taking a cab. Can I drop you somewhere? No, thank you. Well, maybe I can drop your baggage off where you're going to stay. How's that?
2: You'll do that for me, really. Well, that's awfully sweet of you. i Might
1: be glad to. Just tell me where to go.
2: I would, but I don't use profanity. Goodbye,
1: Mr. Mulligan. Dear Mom, it's been a bad day.
15: That's Detective
16: Agency. I'm sorry, madam, but if you want to trace your husband, you'll have to come to our office and make the usual arrangements. I know, madam, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, until 5 o'clock. Yes, Vance Detective Agency. I'll see if he's in. Pardon me,
2: but I'm here to see Mr. Parker. A second daughter, Leslie. left, please. Thank you.
18: Come in. Now, please don't worry, Mr. Bentley. our service has always been satisfactory, hasn't it? Yes, I know it's important. It's just as important to us. I'll have my best operatives there. Goodbye, Mr. Bentley. All right, young lady, what's your experience?
2: Well, not very much, I'm afraid.
18: What? There's a fine how do you? Well, I'm sorry, Miss... Miss uh Vance.
2: I'm Mary sorry.
18: Vance. I'm sorry, Miss Vance, but I'm afraid you won't. Mary Vance? Not not Mary Vance. Mm-hmm. Positively. Well, how do you do? I'm Parker, the agency manager. I hope you'll forgive me. Of
2: course. I uh, I gather you were expecting someone.
18: I was. We're a little short handed right now. The agency has more business than it can handle.
2: Well, this is good news.
18: Ordinarily it would be. You've heard of the Bentley Emerald,
2: mm-hmm, even in Ithaca.
18: Well, old P. J. Bentley is giving it to his son's bride to be as a wedding gift. She's Gloria Van Dusen.
2: Oh, sure, sure, the well-known glamour girl. Exactly.
18: The reception's tonight after the wedding, and the Emerald will be on display along with the other gifts. We've been commissioned to see that nothing happens. Mm, to
2: sounds it. like quite a feather in our cap.
18: It is. It is. His is the biggest account we have. Of course, the police will have their people too. But old P. J. Bentley is eccentric enough to have no confidence in the police, and rich enough to get away with it. And that's why we're in a jam.
2: A jam? I'm afraid I don't understand.
18: We're in a jam because I haven't a single operative available. At least not for that kind of an assignment. I need a clever woman. I've even had to try the employment agencies. Matter of fact, that's where I thought you were from.
2: Oh, I see.
18: Well, our attorney tells me you're going to sell the agency. Yes.
2: Yes, I am, Mr. Parker. Good. Uh, Mr. Parker, you say you're stuck for a woman operative for the Bentley Affair tonight? I is. And is it's very important... You you shouldn't pass up this job? That's right,
18: but uh, I...
2: And you need a fairly intelligent young woman who looks well in evening clothes who can pass for a member of a smart set, who can be trusted to keep her eye on the emerald. Is, is that correct?
18: <laughs> you sound as if you were applying for the job. I am. You're what? Applying
2: for the job. Do I get it? Oh,
18: please, Miss Vance, you're joking. Mm,
2: I'm not joking. After all, I own this agency. I must have its welfare at heart.
18: But you don't know anything about this kind of work. But
2: this is a crisis, and I think I can help. You're not a detective. Oh, I know that, but I've studied quite a bit of criminal law, and I think I'll I'll do just as well as somebody you'd get from an employment agency if you've got someone.
18: Now, Miss Vance, I must insist Now, just a you... minute,
2: Mr. Parker. I own this agency, and I'm in a better position to insist than you are, and that's just what I'm doing.
18: Okay, Miss Vance, you're the boss. You'll need a license, and I'll assign one of our men to stand by and keep an eye on you while you're keeping an eye on the Emerald tonight. He's not the type for this kind of a job, but he'll have to do it. We'll manage. I hope so. Yes, sir? Send in Bingo (laughs) Doherty.
17: Hey, Miss Vance, them newspaper guys said they'd give you a big plate this afternoon, didn't they? Uh, when you got your license, I mean. Yes,
2: Bingo, I never saw so much gallantry in one place before.
17: Murder, murder, they sure went to town. Too bad all that who's going to be wasted. Yes. Uh, look, Miss Vance, are you really going to sell the agency? Why don't you run it?
2: Now, do I look like a gunshoe? No, Bingo, I'm studying to be a lawyer. The agency wouldn't be any good to me, and I wouldn't be any good for it. After all, it's, it's no business for a woman.
17: Yeah, I guess you got the right idea. I know I have. Only, gee, it's kind of a shame. Your Uncle Mike run the joint for 25 years, and the name of Vance and the detective business has been like a, well, like an institution. In other words, I know, Bingo,
2: that... but that's the way things work out sometimes.
17: Yeah. Ain't life sorted, Miss Vance.
2: Oh, Bingo! This is probably the most expensive wedding reception of the decade.
17: Yes, <laughs> there's enough champagne here in this joint to float a battleship. Say
2: the least, hey Bingo. You know what I think? I think we ought to separate, mingle with the guests, perhaps. We don't want to look too obvious.
17: Oh, now, wait a minute, Miss Vance. You ain't going to leave me alone with all these stuffed shades, are you? <laughs>
2: don't forget you're doing a pretty good job of stuffing your own shirt.
17: Yeah, and this starch collar is killing me.
2: Hey, suppose you wait here and keep an eye on the pride's presence while I sort of drift around and mingle with the upper crust.
17: Okay, Miss Vance. Oh, say, look at Murray of the Headquarters Society detail in the soup and fish. Ain't he got the savoir Perry? Who? Over there by the pillar, the good-looking guy.
2: What? I know that man. I met him on the train. Is he a policeman?
17: Detective Sergeant and a good one, too.
2: Well, well, well. Pardon me, Bingo. And don't forget your own savoir-faire.
17: Huh? Oh, 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 sure. <laughs> Gee, if the guys at Barney's Bar could get a gander at me now, they'd swear I was getting, uh, class conscious. Made hmm. it, made it.
1: May I have this dance, Miss Higgins? I'd be delighted. Oh,
2: it's you. That's
1: right. Shall we?
2: What can I lose?
1: <laughs> well, I never dreamed we'd meet again, at least so soon.
2: It is a small world, isn't it, Sergeant Murray?
1: Yes. Uh, who told you I was on the force?
2: Oh, I know all about you, Sergeant. For example, you're on the society detail.
1: <laughs> well, I, I guess I may as well break down and confess. Yep, I'm always assigned to these society affairs. The inspector thinks I look good in tail.
2: He's right there, but one tail would be enough. Sweet child. And you're here to guard the Bentley Emerald, aren't you?
1: That's right. Hey, what do you know about the Emerald?
2: I also know that Mr. Bentley thinks the police force are incompetent and immaterial.
1: Oh, he does, huh? Now,
2: Sergeant, don't stop dancing. People are looking at you. Well,
1: let him look. And how is it that you're so familiar with Mr. Bentley's opinions, Miss Higgins?
2: Oh, not Higgins. Vance. Mary Vance. You see, Mr. Bentley hired me to keep an eye on the Emerald. In person. He hired you? Mm-hmm.
1: Wait a minute. Vance. You... You wouldn't have any connection with a Vance detective agency, would you? I own it. You?
2: <laughs> Whoo, from mouthpiece
12: to gumshoe in 48 hours. Oh, lady, you change careers more often than I do shirts.
2: What's wrong with my being a private detective?
12: No, now, don't stop dancing, Miss Pinkerton. I mean, Miss Vance. People
1: are looking.
2: Really, Sergeant, I think you're afraid of a little competition.
1: Oh, sure, sure. I'm afraid to pieces, but not of competition. Now, look, Esmeralda... The name
2: is Mary. All
1: right, all right, Mary. Now, kidding on the square. Go back to your law books, but fast.
2: Oh, now you think the law is is a good career for a woman.
1: Well, it's better than the racket you're getting into. Crime isn't romantic. It's, It's ugly and sordid. It's rotten.
2: Is that all, Sergeant Murray? No,
1: that's not all. You get yourself all mixed up with some really bad boys, and your pretty head won't be worth a nickel. Now, take a guy's advice and go back to school like a good little girl. Would it be
2: too much of a strain for you to mind your own business?
1: Okay, okay. Let's dance people are looking. Well,
2: that's better.
1: Don't holler when you get hurt.
2: I won't. And don't you pout if I make you look bad.
1: It's a deal. Incidentally, now that you're a working detective, you might as well know the kind of playmates you're taking on. What do you mean? You see that man near the French window?
2: You mean that tall, distinguished-looking man with the gray hair? Yep.
1: That tall, distinguished-looking man is Silk Jennings, one of our better jewel thieves. No. Yes, he usually works for European pleasure spas, but the war killed that. And that man in the corner there... He
2: reminds me of my English professor.
1: Well, he's none other than High Pockets' Harry Miller, also a dealer in Hot
12: eyes.
2: You mean they're criminals? Yep. They're probably after the Emeralds.
1: Wouldn't be a bit surprised.
2: Well, then why don't you arrest them or something?
1: Because I haven't a thing on them yet.
2: You know, they don't look like criminals. I mean, they... Of course
1: they they don't. That's why they're top-notches. But neither of them would stop at murder, believe me.
2: Excuse me just a minute, please. Where are you going? Just a part of my nose, if you don't mind.
12: Well, hurry back.
2: What
12: happened to the lights?
17: Turn on
12: the lights! They're on again! What happened? The
17: emeralds, is gone. it's gone! What's stolen? Oh. Hey, 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 hey! Sergeant, do you know what
12: happened? Well, looks like they got to the emerald. Murder, murder! Hey, you see my boss, Miss Vince? Nope, she disappeared just before the lights went out. Disappeared? Yes, and so have two of the slickest jewel thieves in the country. Come on, Bingo! the theft of the famous Bentley Emerald, and the vast ballroom is the scene of excitement and confusion. No one, however, knows of the disappearance of Mary Vance and the two uninvited but nonetheless to be reckoned with gentlemen from the underworld. That is, no one but Detective Sergeant Dennis Murray and the redoubtable Bingo Dorrit. Well, Bingo, did you talk to the gateman? Yeah, I conversed with him. Did he see anything?
17: Plenty. Two cars pulling out of the driveway and going like bats out of... Uh, Hades Oh, that crazy girl She's chasing two of the most dangerous jewel thieves in the country But that ain't it, Sarge What ain't it? Well, uh, what you said She ain't chasing them They're chasing her Are you kidding? Well, the gate man says the face car What pulled out had a dame at the wheel And the car that was following her Had two guys in it But that can't be unless 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 what, Sarge? Bingo You don't think Mary would swipe that piece of green glass, do you? Hey, if I thought you meant that, I'd load a boom on you.
1: Okay, okay. Let's go. Where? Well, after that nitwit boss of yours. Get my car, bingo.
12: Hang up. Make
2: this an express stop, will you?
17: Love,
12: The
2: tenth floor. Say, where'd you get the shiner? I got caught in a jam. Would you like some beefsteak? Thanks, kid. I'm not hungry. Okay, lady. Here's the tenth floor. Thanks. Clerk, this is Miss Ten in 1005. I'm not home to anyone, understand? Anyone at all.
16: So sorry to intrude.
2: Who are you? How'd you get in?
16: With this passkey.
2: Well, what do you want?
16: The Bentley Emerald, Miss Vance. And don't try to lift that phone.
2: What makes you think I have the Emerald? We
16: know you got it. Let's not beat around the bush, Miss Vance. Miller and I were after the stone. Had the stage all set. You just worked faster than we did. I don't
2: know what you're talking about.
16: Oh, no? Incidentally, I do want to apologize for the condition of your eye. The darkness, you know. I didn't expect to find someone else reaching for the stone at the same time I did. Gentlemen,
2: I think you're making a mistake.
16: She's too smart, Silk. Let's get tough and scream. If you take
2: another step toward me, I'll scream. Now, just a moment, just a moment.
16: I'm sure there's no need for violence. Miss Vance, let me explain the situation. Uh, Do? To begin with, Miller and I went after the emerald on our own hook. You should know that a stone so large and so famous would be extremely difficult to dispose of. Consequently, we've been operating as what might be termed contractors.
2: Contractors?
16: Yes. We were hired to obtain the emerald and for a very handsome retainer, too. You stepped in and almost robbed us of our commission.
18: Ah, the world's a cruel place,
16: isn't it? Ah, for some people. Get to the point, Silk. Miss Vance, we aren't the kind of men to lose a large sum of money with a smile. I suggest that we cut you in and split the proceeds three ways.
2: Oh, you cut me in?
16: Exactly. To dispose of the emerald, you would eventually have to do business with our employer, who happens to be the most important fence on the East Coast. (laughs) He's a good man to have for a friend. A bad one for an enemy.
2: And I'm only to get a third, Is, is that all?
16: Well, on this deal, yes. But I think you're a clever girl. We ought to be able to work together and do well, too.
2: And if I refuse?
16: Then Mr. Miller here will be forced to apply his own method of persuasion.
2: Oh. Well, I think you boys have something there, it's... It's a deal. But I want to turn the stone over to your boss personally.
16: Excellent. You are a clever girl.
1: Good evening, folks. Uh-uh-uh-uh. papa has got a nasty old gun that might explode and go boom. Right in your puss. Funny,
17: man, isn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah, now you two step over to the corner and face the wall. That's right. And you, young lady, come over toward me. Say, where did you pick up that black guy? It's a Lulu. You think you're
2: clever, don't
1: you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you stand right here by me while I give these gentlemen the once-over toting any artillery silk? I never do. Sure, sure. But this time, you were a little out of your territory.
12: Yes,
2: and you're a long way from yours. Drop your gun, Sergeant, because I got one right in your back.
16: What? Are you in with these...
2: Oh.
16: Oh. Good work, Miller.
2: Did you have to hit him with that thing?
16: Come on. you better not lose any more time. Yeah, let's get going. <laughs>
11: Just a moment. Ah, gentlemen, come in. Thanks,
16: Mr. Latour.
11: And who is your charming companion? We'll
16: tell you about that in a minute.
11: Tell me first. Did you get the stone? In a roundabout way.
16: Yes. You see, Miss Vance here beat us to the emerald, but we were able to persuade her to join forces with us. At no additional expense to you, I might add. Excellent. Oh, she's a very clever girl, Latour. On our way here, she was also instrumental in preventing our
11: arrest. Incredible.
2: Meaning what, Mr. Latour?
11: I mean that you are as clever as you are charming. Where is the emerald? Miss Vance has had it. Miss Vance? Of
2: course. There you are.
11: I confess that I'm baffled. What do you mean, baffled? Miss Vance, why you should steal the Bentley emerald, prevent the arrest of my associates, and then so very obligingly bring the stone to me... Is more than I can understand.
2: Well, I I decided after talking to these gentlemen that I'd like to join forces with you.
11: Especially since you are a detective. Well, she's a detective? A detective? Uh, certainly, you idiots. Don't you read the newspapers? Well, there's her picture. The story that goes with it. She's taken over the Vans Agency. Hey, what a nervy dame. Well, uh, anyway, we've got the emerald. Yes. And we also have a live corpse on our hands. <laughs>
1: Bingo, where
17: are you? I was down in the lobby keeping my eyes peeled, like you said, when I seen Miss Vance and them two guys come out. So I figure I'd better follow them. And guess where they went? They went in the back door of Latour's. You know, that high-class jewelry store on Fifth Avenue.
1: Well, I'll be... Bingo, you stay right where you are till I get there, and don't let anybody in or out. And don't go in yourself, you get it? Ah, darn that crazy girl... Give police headquarters.
11: Then I take it we're all agreed. That's That's right. Right. All right. We leave immediately for my cottage in Maine. It's right on the ocean, you know. By the time Miss Vance's body is washed in, she'll be unrecognizable.
2: Now, wait a minute. You know, murder's a serious business. Ah,
11: but at this stage of the game, so is exposure. I'm sorry we have to do this. Truly, I am. Come on, let's get going. Yes, we can leave by the street door. It's late and no one will see us. We'd better gag her anyway. Good idea. Take care of it, Miller. Right. Hey, there's the cops. Come on, this way. Not the girl. If we're caught with her, we're dead. I know. Wait, we put her in the vault. She'll suffocate. We can dispose of her body later. Oh. Now, Huey. Hilly,
15: out the back way. Let
11: him have it. All right,
1: boys, the game's up. Come on, up with your hands.
11: Nice work, Bingo. Are you hurt? And,
1: uh, where's
17: Miss Vance?
11: Yeah, where is she, Latour? I don't know what you're talking about. All right, boys, we'll make them talk. Wait a minute. I'm not taking a murder rap. She's in the vault. Get her out, Latour. It's not locked. Just throw back the bolt. <laughs> Well, well, well. Look at little Miss Pinkerton. Come on, out you go.
2: I think you're smart, don't you?
1: That's what I get for saving your life. Get back in the safe.
2: Oh, all right.
1: Noonan, you... Noonan you can take these gentlemen down to the station now. All right,
2: sir. Come on, get
1: along. Come on. Now, when and where did you get that shiner, Miss Gumshoe? When
2: well, I took the emerald.
1: And why, if I may be so bold, did you snitch exhibit A?
2: Because it was the only thing I could do. I saw this high-pockets individual getting ready to turn off the lights. I had to act quick. I grabbed the emerald first, and, and well, I got the black eye and the tussle with Jennings, and, and then I got scared and I ran. I, I don't know why. I got into my car and they followed me.
12: Well, why did you stick a gun in my back and get me knocked out? Oh, that. Yes, yes, that. Well,
2: I found out that they were only part of a ring. The tour was the big shot, the master fence. That was even bigger than the emerald itself. I had to follow through, and, and then, and then you got in the way.
1: Uh huh. And you might add, it was a mighty good thing for you that I got back in your way.
2: Thank you kindly, Sergeant. No,
1: you're welcome. You're welcome. Now, let me tell you something, little Miss Muffet. All you did tonight was to mess up the sweetest little trap ever set by the police department of this great city. Uh
2: Ah, don't be a poor sport, Sergeant Murray.
1: Believe me, I'm not. We've been trying to find the identity of the man above Jennings and Miller for a long time, so tonight we set a trap. A trap? Yes, but the wrong mouse nibbled the cheese. Why do you think I gave Jennings and Miller so much rope? It's because I wanted them to steal the emerald.
2: You wanted them to steal the emerald?
1: Sure. It was a fake.
2: A fake? You mean I took a chance on my life for an imitation emerald?
1: That's right. You don't think we'd bait a trap of the real article? We arranged the whole thing with Mr. Bentley and the insurance company.
15: (gasps) Well, of all the things...
1: Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the press. Hi, boys. Hi, Sarge.
18: Hey, isn't that Mary Pance? Hi, Mary Greetings, gentlemen.
12: Hey, by the looks of that shiner, Miss Vance has been a busy little girl. Come on, Mary, spill it. Now, what happened? Yes. Hello. Now, oh, now just a minute, boys. Every time, will you, Sarge? Come on over here, Miss Vance, and tell us all about
17: it. Well, how do you like that? <laughs> it looks like Miss Vance is getting all the play, huh, Sarge? Yeah, so it does. Well, that's life, Sarge. In other words, in other words, a guy named Murray is a first class. Uh, 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 uh. Sarge, temper, temper.
18: I don't mind admitting I had a very
2: anxious night, Miss Vance. You had an anxious anxious night, Mr. Parker.
18: How does it feel to have your name on every front page in town? Yeah, Miss Vance, you were in the limelight, all right.
2: It hurts my eyes.
18: Too much excitement, eh? Well, you can relax now. After last night's business, you'll have no trouble at all getting some good
1: offers for the agency. Mm Mm-hmm. Come in. Ah, am I intruding?
2: Not at all, Sergeant.
1: Good. I'd like to take you to lunch.
2: Really? Really? As a tribute to my ability? Mm
1: -hmm. Frankly, no. As a tribute to your luck. Stop kidding yourself, Mary. You're not a detective and you never will be.
2: That's not what the newspapers think.
1: Yeah? Well, if I hadn't been around, the only newspaper headline you'd rate today would have been an obituary.
2: Sour great.
17: I, uh, hear you're going to sell the agency.
2: Ha! I don't know where you got that impression. But, Miss Vams, are you kidding? I had intended to sell it, but you men who think all women are helpless nitwits give me twelve kinds of a pain... Not only am I going to keep the agency, but I'm going to show you that I can outsluit you in every direction, including spades. Goodbye, gentlemen. I'm going to lunch alone.
17: Ain't she the spit of her Uncle Mike? Yep. Yeah.
1: So she's going to be Miss Pinkerton Incorporated, huh? Well, one of these days she's going to poke that pretty nose of hers into something and get it caught. And I won't be around to unhook it. Or, uh, will I? <laughs>
13: Lux Radio Theater brings you Dick Powell and Joan Blondell in Model Wife. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. <clears throat>
19: <laughs> Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Every trade develops its own slang terms, along with its technical terms. And in my trade, we have a slang word for pictures that turn out to be surprise hits. We call them sleepers and we've got one tonight. The current universal picture, Model Wife. It gives you a chance to discover a hit for yourself, something Hollywood's genius for advertising doesn't let you do very often. This time the surprise package contains a new and different Dick Powell and Joan Blundell. Tonight brings Dick and Joan back to this microphone for their first appearance here together in almost five years. But Model Wife was worth waiting for. It's the story of a typical American phenomenon. The modern young business couple with their eyes clearly fixed on a shining goal. They hope that someday, and the sooner the better, they can raise a family. But in the meantime, their good-humored contest with the big city is a very real part of the American epic. Every husband, and I suppose every prospective husband too, will have his own definition of what constitutes a model wife but discretion being the better part of valor, he probably keeps it to himself. I think they'll all agree on one point, though, and this is where Lux Toilet Soap makes a spectacular entrance. Tall or short, slender or not so slender, blonde brunette or redhead, a wife should always look like a model wife. In fact, I think the ladies themselves are the first to insist on that. In Hollywood, screen close-ups tell any star or starlet a candid camera story that she cannot ignore. But if you don't happen to have a close-up of yourself handy, the mirror will do just the same thing. And in either case, the candid camera drama will have a happier ending if Lux Toilet Soap was part of the first act. And now for the first act of tonight's play. We raise the curtain on Model Wife, starring Dick Powell as Fred Chambers and Joan Blondell as Joan Chambers. (laughs) On New York's Fifth Avenue, an imposing storefront bears the imposing name J.J. Benson Couturier. In simple English, that means Mrs. Benson sells dresses, but this is Fifth Avenue. On a normal day, J.J. Benson closes its chromium doors at 5.30 sharp, but this is Christmas Eve, and the employees, in the full flush of Yuletide spirit, have agreed to work until 10 p.m., or be fired. There goes the closing bell. Like a team of tired horses, the salesgirls drop in their traces and stretch their aching limbs.
7: Boy, what a relief. Another hour and the homicide squad would be after my feet for killing me. Mine murdered me
9: two hours ago. I'm dead. J.J. Benson doesn't know it, but she's going to make her annual Christmas speech to
7: a zombie. Good night, girls.
1: Good night. And a Merry Christmas to you, one and all. Say,
7: where do you think you're going?
1: I'm preparing to saunter through the doors and join the merry throng. In brief, I am going home. Good night, ladies.
7: What makes you a privileged character, Mr. Chambers? Why don't you have to wait for J.J.'s Christmas speech?
1: I celebrated my Christmas last week. Had Roosevelt move it up for me. Farewell, slaves.
2: Just a moment, Mr. Chambers.
1: Hmm? Oh, yes, Miss Keating.
2: Mr. Chambers, no one is to leave the store until Madam Benson has addressed the personnel.
1: Now, Miss Keating. No one
2: I... is accepted from the rule. You're aware of that, Mr. Chambers?
1: Yes, yes, Miss Keating. And I'm also aware that it's Christmas Eve. The snow is on the ground, and I can hear the jingle bells and the one-horse sleigh.
2: In the age of automobiles, uh, come, come, Mr. Chambers.
1: Now, listen here, Miss Keating. You've been J.J.'s secretary for two weeks, and you're getting to talk like her. You can tell her for me to make a recording of that speech, and
10: I'll have it sealed in the cornerstone of Kaminsky's fish market. Ladies and gentlemen. Everybody at attention, please. Madam Benson is coming. On your feet, please. Oh, come, 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 everybody. My dear fellow workers, I shall not bore you. Mr. Everett,
3: that happens to be my speech.
10: Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Madam Benson. A a slip of the tongue. Uh, May I introduce your beloved employer? (coughs) Hold your hats,
1: kids. Here we go. My dear fellow workers, ladies and gentlemen, I shall not bore you with a lengthy oration. My dear fellow
3: workers, ladies and gentlemen, I shall not bore you with a lengthy oration. My remarks, as on previous years, will be short and to the point.
1: First, last, and always, I believe in hard work. First,
3: last, and always, I believe in hard work.
1: Morning and night, asleep and awake, we must perform our duties like good soldiers. Morning and night,
3: asleep and awake, we must perform our duties like good soldiers. Let us be inspired by... Miss Manahan. Yes, ma'am? Miss Manahan, you were discharged this morning. What are you doing here?
0: I I was just wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. I've worked
3: with these girls five years. Three years as a married woman, distinctly against my rules. I can't afford to employ persons doing two jobs, mine and her husband's. You're no longer an employee.
7: I'm sorry. Ladies
3: and gentlemen, let us be inspired now by the pride of knowing that our creations are worn by America's best-dressed women. May we all continue to work in harmony, and my sincere wishes for a Merry Christmas. (laughs) And... And an industrious New Year.
1: Merry Christmas. Anybody home? Why,
2: Mr. Chambers, what a surprise. Good
1: evening, Miss Keating.
2: You're a little late, Mr. Chambers. I beat you home by 20 minutes.
1: Yes, I know. I had to stop off and buy a Christmas present for my wife. Here you are. Merry Christmas.
2: Oh, Fred, didn't we promise not to buy each other presents this year? That's not fair.
1: Now, come on, come on, open it up. A man can buy a present for his own wife, can't he? What is it?
2: Oh, oh, Fred, a bank.
1: A stork bank?
2: Oh, a stork? He's beautiful. Sure,
1: sure. He sings, too. All you do is put a coin in his mouth. Watch.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All that noise for a penny?
1: Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I won 30 cents today in a crap game. Maybe
2: our luck's changing.
1: I had my own dice.
2: Shame on you. But the stork won't object. Hand it over.
1: Well, will you get a load of that voice? I asked him to give me a soprano. He's got a voice like a train announcer. The neighbors will know how we stand to a dime. Well,
2: is it any disgrace to save for a baby? Why, darling, at this rate, it'll be no time before we can afford to have little Josephine.
1: Joseph. Please, darling, if you have any influence at all, Joseph.
2: Josephine? Joseph! Josephine.
1: You wouldn't settle for twins, would you?
2: Not at the present (laughs) (laughs) prices.
1: Oh, I'm tired.
2: That's a delivery. Oh, Fred, the mailman.
1: Uh Uh-oh. I have a feeling it's from your Uncle George. Why,
2: Uncle George?
1: Because the feeling I have is a sinking one.
2: That's a delivery. Well, anyway, it can't be for much money this time. Otherwise, he would have sent a telegram. Yeah,
10: collect Yes? Special delivery, Mr. Chambers. Seven cents postage due.
2: It's Uncle George, all right. Let me have it, Fred.
10: All right.
1: Sorry to have to give you all this in pennies. I got paid today.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: All right, let's have the bad news, darling.
2: Well, we're pretty lucky. He only wants $35. What for? He says we wouldn't be interested.
1: Well, if he wants $35, he'll take $15. We'll give him 10
2: Can we afford even that? Get the account book, Fred. Let's see how we stand. I'm getting it now. Fred, was that you? Was that me what? Knocking on the wall. No,
1: must be the average. Knock back. Woo-hoo!
2: Mrs. Chambers? Yes, Mrs. Everett. Mrs. Chambers, Milo and I are expecting you tonight. We want you to come in and see our Christmas tree, Mrs. Chambers. All right. Thank you. We'll be there. What do they want? They want us to come in and see their tree.
6: Oh,
1: sometimes I wish these walls weren't so thin. I, I hear Milo every day at the store. I ought to get a rest at night.
2: Why, oh, Fred, you like Milo.
1: Sure, but I also like thick walls.
2: Let me see the account.
1: Here. Hmm. Baby fun budget book. We'll be lucky if we save enough to buy a cat.
2: Now, let's see. Doctor, one hundred and fifty dollars. Hospital one hundred. Layette, diapers, and miscellaneous, seventy-five dollars. Cigars to pass out one dollar. Oh, never
1: mind all that. Uh where do we stand?
2: Well, we've deposited $235 less 37
10: What's 37
1: for?
2: That's the unpaid balance on your appendix.
10: Uh-huh.
2: And uh, oh. now let's see $10 to Uncle George. That leaves us $188. Oh, we're still awful short, Fred.
1: How about starting the new year right and asking Lord Benson for a raise? We'd
2: better leave well enough alone. Just let us suspect we're married, and we'll both be out of jobs.
1: Uh, at this rate, it'll be ten years before we can have a baby. Someday I'll say to him, Son, you could have been ten years old today instead of three if it had to been for your Uncle George.
2: <laughs> According to the home economics page, you can buy a baby very nicely for
1: $500, $400... $500, $400? What kind of law says we got to have that money? Babies are born every day without it, and they manage to grow into good men and women. Look at me. I
2: thought you said you were tired.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I want a baby because they... because they smell so nice. Mm. <laughs> She'll be so soft and gentle and beautiful that, that people will look at her and say her, her parents must love each other very much.
1: Yeah, smart people. <laughs>
2: Madam Benson's office, yes Oh, at 4.30, thank you, Mr. Carmichael Good morning Good morning
14: I'd like to see Mrs. Benson
2: Do you have an appointment?
14: No, I don't You see, I'm... Uh, I'm
2: sorry Uh, Madam Benson never sees anyone without an appointment
14: Oh, uh, you're new, aren't you? Uh Uh-huh Uh-huh, pretty too
2: What did you want to see her about, please? Oh,
14: nothing special, just things
2: Well, who are you?
14: What do you do? Nothing important Oh, I do card tricks and stuff like that Here, look You see this half dollar? Mm Mm-hmm. Presto. Where did it go?
2: Now, don't tell me it's behind my ear.
14: That's right. See? (laughs) Elementary, my dear Watson.
2: You do this sort of thing professionally? Sunday school treats and Boy Scout picnics?
14: Oh, no, no. I learned it in the jungle. It makes friends with the natives.
3: Yes, Madam Benson? Miss Keating, if my son comes, send him right in. Oh. What do you mean, oh, send him in?
2: Are uh, are you Mr. Benson, Mr. Ralph Vivian Benson?
14: The Vivian was for a very rich aunt.
2: Oh, you had an appointment with your mother, Mr. Benson. She she wants to see you right away.
14: Well, here I go.
3: Well, Ralph.
2: Hello,
14: darling. Don't
3: you, darling, me, you young wasteful, you, you, you
14: shameless squanderer, irresponsible young fool. Give us a kiss, ma.
3: Get away! You smell like a tenth avenue barroom.
14: Park Avenue, darling. I'm still a Benson.
3: A uh, Benson should know the meaning of industry and dignity. Now, what about these checks? Three checks overdrawn in the last four days.
14: You're slipping, Ma. Four in three days.
3: Ralph, Vivia Benson, there's only one thing left to do with you. You're going to work.
14: Oh, not that.
3: Right here in this office where I can keep an eye on you. But not a word out of you. Miss Keating, come in here.
14: But, uh, do you think it's quite decent? Decent? Am I going to work? Making money?
3: You won't be making much money, my boy. I'm going to pay you what you're worth.
14: But, Mother, yes, listen.
3: Miss Keating, this is my son, Ralph Vivian Benson. How do you do, Mr. Benson?
14: Oh, let's keep Aunt Vivian out of this, huh?
3: Miss Keating, my son is joining our staff. I'd like you to be a secretary until further notice.
14: Oh, my secretary.
3: The assignment merits a slight raise in salary. Oh, thank you. We'll put Mr. Benson in poor old Mr. Oglethorpe's old office. You mean old Mr. Oglethorpe's old office that, that Mr. Chambers has been using for a spring advertising layout? Mr. Chambers can move the spring advertising layouts back into his old oh, office. Oh, but Mr. Chambers is very... Spare your I... solicitude for Mr. Chambers, my dear. I doubt greatly that Ralph will offer him serious competition. In fact, if Ralph acts as a sort of catalytic agent to Mr. Chambers' efficiency, I should be more than gratified. Get out, please. Yes, Madam Benson. This way, Mr. Benson.
14: So long, Ma. See you, payday. <laughs> Isn't Mother a dinger?
2: A catalytic
14: agent. Now, what do you suppose that is? It's
2: a thing that makes something else work without working itself.
14: Oh, it is? Well, under those conditions, I accept the job. <laughs>
2: I'm in the kitchen. What are
1: you doing? Whipping up a souffle. Oh, I Fred. give up. I give up. I didn't mind when they fell down the first time. I didn't <laughs> mind the second. But now I give oh, up. Oh,
2: darling, give me that apron. Say, what's burning?
1: I am. Once, just once these last few weeks, you might get home on time. Oh, please,
2: darling, don't scold. Just before Mr. Benson left, he asked me to call his tailor about a ski suit. The line was busy for an hour. I almost went mad. Of
1: course, Mr. Benson's rompers are more important than my dinner. Oh,
2: Fred, please. What went wrong today? Come on now, you can't fool Ma. What happened?
1: Uh, if your husband were half a man, he'd quit his job. J.J.? Yeah. I walked in this afternoon, gave the old, the old shrew an idea worth at least a hundred thousand a year. What was it? Well, I wanted her to sell perfume with her clothes. I had a whole campaign mapped out. Wear perfume to match your dress or gown. Idly, she asked me if I thought her customers smelled bad. Don't tell
2: me you said they smelled a high heaven or something and got yourself fired.
1: I couldn't even get past the first sentence. She mumbled something about my having too many ideas and not enough good ones and walked out. Oh, the
2: pompous old bustle. Darling, it's a wonderful idea, and I'm proud of you. And someday she'll yep, see. Yep,
1: someday, sure.
2: Fred, what's this on the table?
1: No, hmm? oh, it's a letter.
2: A letter from me, why don't you tell me? Oh, it's from Uncle George.
1: But be strong, tear it up. If you never know what's in it, we save at least ten bucks and your conscience won't hurt
2: you. Ah, <laughs> oh, you're probably right. But do you realize what you're asking of a woman?
1: All right, but you'll regret it. Hey,
2: what's
7: that? Look, look, you homespun philosopher. It's a check for 25 bucks. (laughs) Uncle George is starting to pay off. Holy
1: flying (laughs) fishes. The dead shall walk
7: again. $25 for the baby fund
2: that would have been gone if I listened to you.
1: Uh, uh, There's the door. Well, I'll get it. 25 bucks for Joseph. Wow. Yes? Telegram for Mrs. Chambers.
2: Fred, it's a telegram. Shall I tear it up?
1: Not until you pray for it, lady. It's collect. What? Hey, uh, uh, let me see that.
2: Collect. What is it, Fred? What does it say?
1: Please destroy check. No funds in bank. Letter follows. <laughs> Uncle George.
2: <laughs> Hurry up, Fred. It's almost half past eight. My shoelace is untied. Oh, well, you can finish dressing in the subway. We're 12 minutes late now. Hey, wait. Now, wait. There's something on the
1: floor there for the mailbox. Here. It's a box for you.
2: Mrs. Fred Chambers... Happy birthday from your husband. Oh, Fred. Gardenias. Oh, it's just a little cassava. Darling, you were sweet to remember. I'd forgotten all about it.
1: I have an insurance payment due on your birthday, and they always send me a reminder. Here, pen it on.
2: Oh, it smells so nice all day. I won't be able to bear it. Fred, Fred, get back. Huh? Look, it's, it's Mr. Benson. He just pulled up in that car.
1: Oof. What does he want around well, here? Well, I
2: don't know, but I'll get him away. Please, darling, get in the back hall. Now, now, wait. Hurry up. Get out of sight. Morning, Miss Keating. Oh, uh, oh, Mr. Benson. Step
14: right in, Miss Keating. Bus now leaving for J.J. Benson and company. And, uh, here's a little present for you. For your birthday. A few orchids. Orchids.
2: Really, uh, thank you, Mr. Benson, but how did you know it was mm-hmm. my birthday? Oh,
14: I get around. It's common talk along the waterfront. Oh,
2: really? Come,
14: Miss or we'll be late for work. In you go. Why the... I'll
6: kill him. Good morning, Fred.
10: Oh, what's happened? Mrs. Chambers being taken for a
1: ride? No, Milo. Mr. Chambers is being taken for a ride.
3: Well, it's about time you got in, Ralph.
14: Morning, Mother. You look beautiful.
3: Never mind that. Listen to this wire. We'll cancel all orders unless shipments made this week. Arriving LaGuardia Airport today, Irene Wells. Well, say something. Ralph, you took the orders yourself, didn't you?
14: Of course.
3: uh, uh, Didn't I, Miss Keating? Yes, Madam Minson, on April the 6th. But shipments must have been delayed. Delayed. Well, there's nothing to do now but undo the harm. Ralph, you'll take Irene Wells to dinner in the theater. Spare nothing.
14: Well, I... uh, And uh, uh, be
3: careful of Miss Wells, Ralph. She's an ex-Follies girl who found she could make more money in dresses.
14: uh, Mother, uh, (laughs) I don't think Irene Wells is my job.
3: Not your job? You've been sitting around here doing nothing.
14: Oh, no, Mother. Thinking, thinking.
3: Thinking what?
14: Well, uh, ideas. What
3: ideas? When did you ever get an idea?
14: Well, uh, uh Miss Keating, you have it all in your book, haven't you? My, uh, uh ideas?
3: In my book? I don't
2: think... Oh. Oh, yes. You mean, you mean the idea about the Perfume bar?
14: Perfume bar? What
2: What's that? Uh, well, you said it would definitely pay Benson and Company to sell perfume to match each gown. With crinolines, for instance, you'd sell lilac. With sport clothes, heather. Hmm. Uh, you also suggested special perfumes for special creations. For instance, with our gown, Moonlight, Jasmine. With our yachting costume, uh, a Triple Extract
3: of Water Lilies. Sure,
14: sure, that's right. And with a nightgown, New Moon Hay. You <laughs> got <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, that's very interesting. Very. Ralph, I really believe you have something. My boy, I felicitate you.
14: Well, now, it's really as much Miss Keating's idea as mine.
2: Oh, no, it really isn't my idea at all, Madam Benson. That is, it was Mr. I'm Ch- sure
3: you had a hand in it. You have a good head, my dear. I'm grateful. But really, Madam Benson, Mr. Now, Chamberlain... now, now, we're all working to the same end, aren't we? A bigger and better Benson. Team play. Esprit de corps. <laughs> getting awfully late.
2: Do you mind if I leave now?
14: In a moment. Now, let's see. Uh, where was you I? You were uh...
2: dictating and shall be here to... Oh, yes,
14: and uh, shall be here to serve you. Uh...
2: Mr. Benson's office. Miss Keating speaking.
14: Listen, what's going on in there? It's almost 6.30.
2: Oh, but of course, madam, the delivery will be made on time.
1: Say, how long do you think I can stand this? Don't
2: you trust us, madam?
1: Sure, sure, I trust you. But I'd trust you more if that pixie wasn't in there with you. Doll,
2: madam, we have years of integrity behind us. We are very jealous of our reputation. Any attempt to doubt it will be strongly resented.
1: All right, all right, I apologize. But when we get home tonight, remind me to show you the half-Nelson and the hammerlock. They're a girl's best friend. Goodbye.
2: Yes, Mr. Benson.
14: And we shall be here to serve you, my dear Mrs. Marmont, in the same spirit we have served you for the past ten in, years. In
2: the same spirit we have served you for the past ten years. Signed, Mr. Ralph Benson. Well, we've done pretty well today. Your mother should be pleased.
14: <laughs> yeah. What time is it, anyway?
2: It's 6.29, and I'd, I'd like to go if there's nothing else I can do for you.
14: Oh, but there is. Uh, uh, sit down, Miss Keating.
2: Well, I, I did sort of have a dinner date. Who with? With um, uh, my uncle.
14: Oh. You know, I had an uncle once, J.J.'s brother. He was the rip-roaringest guy that ever drank and gambled his way from Maine to Mexico. We always knew he'd end on the gallows. And did he? No, he fell in love with a schoolteacher, settled down in Clorinda, Iowa, and raised six children.
2: He sounded much more romantic before he met the girl.
14: He was lots happier afterward. How long have I been here?
2: Three months, Mr. Benson.
14: The name is Ralph.
2: Yes, Mr. Benson.
14: You don't believe a man can change in three months, do you, Joan?
2: Careful, Mr. Benson, or you'll end in Clarinda, Iowa.
14: Uh, Joan, if I were to tell you uh, that's my mother, don't answer it.
2: Mr. Benson, if you don't mind, I- I'll go now.
14: And won't you forget your wicked old uncle and have dinner with me?
2: You're forgetting you have a dinner date with Irene Wells.
14: Oh, there. I'm sorry, Mr. Benson. Uh, who's that out there? Is that you, Chambers?
2: Yes, it's me.
14: Well, uh, come in here a minute, will you? Well. Uh, well, Chambers, you're working late, aren't you? What are you doing that's so important? Writing myself threatening letters. Get up to your burglar alarm going. Uh, that's just Mother. Well, Chambers, uh, if you can't find anything more interesting to do, I have a little chore for you. Irene Wells is in from the coast, and naturally, she has to be entertained. How would you like to be the entertainer? Uh, now, that's mighty white of you, Benson, old boy, but I couldn't bear to deprive you of the pleasure. Now, look, old man, I'd be glad to do it myself, but uh, confidentially, I'm after bigger game tonight. Lovely girl. My secretary. Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything, uh, everything's working out all right, I hope She's a little
14: stubborn, but I think she'll break down That's great, good luck Good night, Mr. Benson Oh, now wait, you're not leaving yet, Miss Keating Why, Mr. Benson, did you see Irene Wells? Really, old man,
1: there's no one in the world I'd rather take out tonight Charming woman, I'll sell her the store
2: Oh, will you?
14: I sure will There, Miss Keating, that's the spirit of cooperation I like to see Now, you and I can have dinner tonight.
2: You're right, Mr. Benson, and I accept. But I warn you, I'm ravenously hungry.
14: You shall have the works, Miss Keating. Two kinds of ice cream. Oh, uh, Chambers, uh, uh, get Miss Wells a nice dinner tonight. And after the theater, your time uh, is your own. Miss Keating will attend to the details. Uh, Tickets and all that. But not the part where my... Time's my own Oh,
10: Mr. Benson
3: <laughs>
14: <laughs> uh, uh, Isn't your buzzer ringing? Good evening, Mr. Everett No, it couldn't possibly be mine I left a full half hour ago Oh, but well, I, I just yes, uh,
3: everybody. I've been buzzing and buzzing and buzzing
14: Curious, I didn't hear it, Mother uh,
3: Come in, Mr. Howard Mr. Howard, this is my son, Ralph What do
10: you do?
14: He's in
3: the firm now uh, Milo Mr. Howard's leaving first thing in the morning, and I would like two models immediately in the salon. Oh,
10: but, 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 Madam Benson, everyone has gone home.
3: Home? At this hour? Why? Well,
10: it's customary, madam. Now, if I can do anything, I... W-
3: You're not going to model lingerie in my establishment. <laughs> Miss Keating, have you ever done any modeling? Why, no. Well, it isn't too difficult. Rather simple, in fact.
10: I'm sure Miss Keating will show your new numbers most effectively.
3: I
1: don't think she will.
3: What's that, Mr. Chambers?
1: Well, I mean, well, the girl's never modeled before. It's...
3: Well,
14: there's an art. You just can't acquire it in ten minutes. Art isn't necessarily acquired, old man. Miss Keating has certain natural advantages that some professional models don't possess. Really? I hadn't noticed.
3: It isn't your place to notice.
14: One can't help noticing the obvious, Mother. Well, it's obvious. The girl is bow-legged. She is not bow-legged. She is bow-legged.
3: Be quiet. Miss Keating, you may come into the dressing room. I'm sure you'll do. Yes, Madam Benson.
14: And now, Mr. Chambers... Whatever gave you the idea, Miss Keating has bow legs. Whatever gave you the idea, she hasn't.
2: I still don't know what you're sore about, Fred. Oh, you
1: don't, you don't. My own wife, modeling clothes for strangers.
2: Well, you can't model for your friends. And now going
1: out to dinner, right under my nose. I
2: explained that to you. I'm not going out with Mr. Benson. I'm going with Mr. Howard, the buyer. It was Madam Benson's idea. I couldn't help it. And furthermore, I hope you don't think I was going to stay home all night while you carted Irene Wells around. I've got to live, too, you know. You're not going to stick me away in some apartment while you go In some
1: apartment? Is that all this place is to you, some apartment? $2,000, this joint cost me. Don't you
2: dare call it a joint. Who called it a joint? You did right this minute. You
1: did, not me. I did not. Well, then you implied it. $2,000 I put into this place. Is that a joint? No, and I didn't say so. Well, then why don't you stay in it and wait for me?
2: Why don't you wait for me?
1: I am only acting under orders. Well, so am I. All right, but this is the last time Sit on right
2: What are you talking about?
1: Your resignation Oh,
2: stop being a fool
1: I just have, and you've just become a housewife What
2: about Josephine? Joseph! All right, then, what about it?
1: Now look, right at this minute (laughs) Right at this minute, I only care about us What good is Joseph going to be If I wind up with the Irene Wells' And you wind up with the Bensons? I am not Oh, darling Look at us, fighting when we want to love And all because you want a child With a finishing school education Even before it's born Well, from now on, I'm the breadwinner of this household, and what I say goes. You have just quit the J.J. Benson Company, and without the usual two weeks' notice. But we
2: haven't much more to go. Our overtime tonight will cut it way down.
1: Right, or I'll spill the beans to J.J. in the
2: morning. You wouldn't do that.
1: To keep you, I'll spill it to her tonight.
2: If you do, you won't keep me. What? What? Please, darling, let me have my child in my own way, not yours.
1: You'd, you'd leave me?
2: Darling, I've, I've hurt you. Why, you're you're shaking.
1: Why shouldn't I? Joseph was almost an orphan.
2: (laughs) Kiss me, darling. Now, come on, slowpoke. To work. For Joseph. Josephine.
13: In just a moment, Mr. DeMille and our stars Dick Powell and Joan Blondell will bring us Act Two of Model Wife. Tonight, we've asked Libby Collins, our Hollywood reporter, to give you a few flashes from the Hollywood fashion front. Say, Libby, you're looking pretty stylish yourself tonight. But I've never thought that uh, yellow and red would...
7: <laughs> That's something I wanted to talk about tonight, Mr. Ruick. Red, for trimmings and accessories, is just about the smartest color this spring.
13: But does it go with everything, Libby?
7: Red goes with just about every color there is, Mr. Roy. In other words, red is right.
13: Well, come to think of it, I saw Dorothy L'Amour the other day wearing a sort of yellow suit and carrying a great big red handbag. Shh!
7: That's where I got the idea for this outfit I'm wearing.
13: Oh, well, that's nothing, Libby. Lots of women admire the clothes the screen stars wear, and they take Hollywood's tip about even more important matters, too. Complexion care, for example. Women everywhere have taken the screen stars' beauty tip about using Lux toilet soap every single day.
7: Well, that's only natural, Mr. Rueck. Because women realize that Hollywood screen stars just have to have nice skin. And they know that if Lux Toilet Soap works for the stars, it'll work for them. It's mild and it's pure. And Lux Toilet Soap has rich, active lather, too. Active lather that removes stale cosmetics, every trace of dust and dirt, thoroughly. Gives skin protection it needs.
13: Thank you, Libby. You know, once a woman starts using Lux Toilet Soap, She understands why famous screen stars like Dorothy L'Amour say,
7: Lux soap's a wonderful beauty aid. It helps keep skin lovely.
13: Try the complexion soap that 9 out of 10 screen stars use. Let Lux toilet soap help you keep your skin appealingly soft and smooth, the way you like it to be. We pause now for station identification. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
19: Act two of Model Wife, starring Dick Powell as Fred Chambers and Joan Blondell as Joan Chambers. Joan went out for the evening with Mr. Howard, the buyer, but strange to relate, she's returning home with Mr. Benson, the boss. Mr. Benson is very gay. As a matter of fact, he's so gay that Joan has to support him by the arm.
14: Bump, bump. Left, right, left, right. Company. Oh. Uh, Excuse me. (laughs)
2: This is my apartment. Good night, Mr. Benson.
14: Safe at home. Benson's service at his best. Rescuing damsels from boards. A good customer, Mr. Howard, but the grandfather of all boards.
2: I appreciate the rescue, Mr. Benson. It's been a lovely evening, but it's really quite late. A good
14: soldier never relinquishes his post until relieved. Call out the guard. What? ho, The guard. The
2: guard, I think, is in bed.
14: Then you'll have to take over, Joan. For
2: Mr. Benson, you can't come in.
14: I am in. Company, All uh, Excuse me. Uh,
2: Mr. Benson, it's nearly 3 o'clock, and I have to get up awfully early in the morning.
14: For what? Come to work at noon if you want to. Come at 4 o'clock. I won't be there. Ta-da-dum. Ta-da-dum. Oh, Ba-da-dum. Ralph. Ba-da-dum. Ralph,
2: Ba-da-dum. Ralph, please.
14: What, what was that name again?
2: What was... What name, Mr. Benson?
14: If I heard correctly, you called me Ralph. Oh. You realize it's the first time you ever called me that? No more guard duty for you, Joan. Instead, I shall fire a 21-gun salute over your head. Just
2: one gun, please. It is late, you know.
14: One gun, then. Psst. I. What was that?
2: What was what?
14: I heard something go.
2: pst! Oh. <laughs> uh, I guess it was the radiator in the bedroom. Uh, will you excuse me a moment, Mr. Benson?
14: Oh, certainly. <laughs> Aram.
2: Aram. 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 Fred, was that you hissing?
14: Yes, and why
1: shouldn't I? Is that what you call entertaining a buyer? He joined us
2: at dinner. I couldn't do anything about it.
1: Well, I can. Where are you going? I'm going to throw that toy soldier out here. Oh, Fred,
2: don't. I'll get rid of him in a minute. Fred, please.
1: Well, make it snappy. And I'd also like a little explanation about those tickets you got for me and Miss Wells' last row in the balcony. A fine place to make an impression. Now,
2: Fred. Get
1: that guy out of here. All right, all right. I'll give him two minutes to leave. I have an appointment with his mother at nine. She'll be interested in how I got along with Irene Wells. I'm
2: sorry about the tickets, darling. I thought maybe from there she wouldn't like the show and decide to go home early.
1: The lady loved the show and so did I. Well, you
2: needn't bite my head off.
10: Oh, don't stop to argue. Get that guy out of here. <laughs>
0: Come on,
1: George. quitting time. Let's beat it. No, oh, I can't do it, Fred. I'm working late tonight. Oh, don't be a slave, my friend. I gotta. Anyway, I get overtime, and that's something. Joe, a man like you in the payroll department should be above money troubles. Simply give yourself a raise. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Like flying to the moon. All you gotta do to get a raise is to be in with Ralphie boy, like that Keating dame. What about that Keating dame? Oh, nothing. I just gave her a $10 raise, that's all. J.J.'s orders on account of keeving gave Ralphie Boy some new idea about perfume. New idea about perfume? Yeah. You give Ralphie Boy an idea he likes, and you'll get a raise, too. Yeah. Yeah, I bet I would.
2: Mr. Benson kept me late.
1: Yes, come on, we'll take the bus. Darling,
2: darling, I could hardly wait to tell you. The most wonderful thing happened. I know, I I
1: know. You got a raise for putting ideas in Mr. Benson's head.
2: Oh, you know. Oh, Fred, let me explain, will you? I tried to tell them it was your idea, but I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Aren't you even listening? Oh, darling, believe me, I felt awful about it, but it just got harder and harder to tell them. Sure,
10: sure, sure, forget it.
2: Will you stop sulking, please? Hello, folks. Hello, Milo. Hello, Milo. Gee,
10: are you coming tonight? Coming where? What to the theater. It's Wednesday,
1: bank night. Well, oh, that's that's right. We go every Wednesday. Would you be interested in going tonight, dear?
2: It's entirely up to you, darling. I'm putty in your hands. Well, Emily and
1: I are going. You never can tell when you might win, you know. Oh, uh, we never win anything. I think we'll skip it tonight, Milo.
11: Thanks, Josephine.
2: I said I know it was your idea. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you set the alarm? Oh,
2: Fred, please don't go to sleep. I want to explain this thing. In the first place, I said I tried to tell Ralph it was your idea, but you see... What's that? What's what?
1: You tried to tell what?
2: I said I tried to tell him it was your idea. Tell who? Ralph Benson.
1: You said Ralph.
2: Well, what if I did? Don't you call Madam Benson JJ? Now,
1: that's different. Look, Joan, don't let's start this again. Who
2: started it? I merely said that... Oh, all right. I confess all... I'm passionately in love with Ralph Benson. I lead a double life. Every night when you are asleep, I steal to a side, satisfied.
1: Perfectly. Then
2: put out the light, please. I'd like to sleep.
1: The phone's ringing. I hear it. Oh. Answer it. I will not. Hello.
10: Hello, Fred. This is Milo. Hello, Fred, Milo. I'm at the theater. Uh, they're calling your name. You just won two hundred dollars.
1: I won what? Two
10: hundred dollars. Two hundred. Yes, but you've got to get over here
1: right away. You've only got three minutes. Oh, I'll be right there. $200. Where's my pants? Fred, what is it? But it's bank night. $200. Oh, Fred. My pants, my pants. Put on a bathrobe. Bathrobe? Yeah, here,
2: your shoes. Oh, quickly, Fred. Now, don't rush
1: me. We've only got three minutes.
2: Oh, $200. That's all we need for Josephine. Come on, I'll go with you. You're not dressed. Well, neither, you. Uh,
1: uh, It's just around the corner. I'm coming
2: just to say, where's my robe? Hurry, hurry, darling, hurry.
10: Hello. Hello, Sarge. This is Officer Harnahan reporting. Nothing to report, Sarge. Everything's nice and quiet. Come on, Joan. Come on. Well, for the love... Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll call you back, Sarge. Two screwballs just ran past in bathrobes. Stop. Stop. In the name of the law. Stop. Stop. Mr. Chambers. Is Mr. Chambers here yet? Let me through, please. I've got to get inside the theater. Let me through. Fred Posh. Mr. Fred Chambers. Just a minute, lady. Where do you think you're going? We're going in the theater. Oh, no, you're not. Not in them clothes. Now, listen, officer. Disturbing the peace, making a spectacle of oh, yourself. So Come you on. What are you doing? Let
4: me go. Time is up. Sorry,
10: Mr. Chambers. Next number, please.
6: Oh, Joan. We didn't make it.
4: Fred, I
8: think I'm going to
10: cry. Lady, it won't help you one bit. Come on, you.
2: I don't know why, but my side of the dish seems to get dry quicker than yours.
1: That's ah, no job for a man, anyway. When we're rich, we'll get one of those electric dish dryers.
2: Not if we keep on paying $10 fines for disturbing the peace. Josephine's not going to forget that in a hurry. Funny, isn't it, how my side is also a little cleaner?
1: Well, Emily Post says always leave a little on the plate.
2: <laughs> oh, Open up, I command you in the name of Sweet Charity. Who is that?
1: Sweet Charity. He wants to come in.
2: Is anybody home in there? Yes, Mr. Benson. What did you say oh, that for? I wasn't thinking. I'm always saying it. The office. Oh,
1: there's something I can throw? Give me that dish. No, you can't do that. I can if you don't spoil my oh, aim. please,
2: Fred. Go over to the Everett's. I-, I promise you I'll be rid of him in five minutes.
1: How am I going to get out?
2: Across the fire escape.
1: The fire escape? Me, the husband, getting away on the fire escape. How do you like that? <laughs>
2: Fred, go and talk to Milo.
1: All right, but this is the last time I'm going to be shoved out of my own home.
10: Milo, can you hear anything? sitting down I think
1: well why don't they say something
10: uh, <clears throat> sh- listen
2: I, uh, I wasn't expecting you mr. Benson
14: I just happened to be passing by now oh, why couldn't I make it sound convincing as a matter of fact I planned this visit for weeks Joan I I brought something for you
1: oh he did huh what is it
2: mr. Benson I have a, a dinner date I'm expecting someone almost any minute.
1: And I am the someone. Milo,
14: I'm going back in there and sock him. Oh, now keep your head, boy. Keep your head. I got it over at Francois's on the avenue just a few minutes ago.
2: Why? It's an engagement ring.
14: Did
1: you hear that? The guy's trying to marry my wife.
10: (laughs) Fred, Fred, that's a compliment. Why, JJ would practically be your mother in law. (laughs) I I
14: I told Francois I wasn't quite sure I'd need it. In fact, I'm not quite sure at all.
2: Oh, it's, it's beautiful.
14: Francois assured me I had nothing to worry about. A man like you, he said, a girl would be crazy to turn you down. Oh, I'll kill him.
2: My, it's a beautiful ring.
10: I'm going in and strangle him. Let me go, Milo. No, 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 you're going to stay right in here and keep your
14: job. Lots of girls would give the right eye to marry you, Francois said. What do you think? Does Francois know what he's talking about?
2: It's, it's beautiful. And after you leave, I'll cry, but it's impossible. I'm in love, desperately in love, Mr. Benson.
14: Oh, well, could you at least stop calling me Mr. Benson?
2: Yes, Ralph, and I'm sorry, and someday you'll find a girl, a very lovely girl, I'm sure, and, and you'll be very happy.
14: Well, I guess this will teach Francois not to be overconfident. Good night, Miss Kitty. Good night.
1: He's going, Fred. Yeah, and now the Lord and Master of the House can go back by the fire escape. <laughs>
2: to him, Fred. His tummy's so full he's purring.
1: Yeah, it won't be long now.
2: If you haven't been putting slugs in here again. Now, who do you suppose that is?
1: Well, no matter who it is, I'm not getting out tonight. I've been on that fire escape so much later the pigeons are building nests on me.
2: <laughs> Look out. I'll open the peephole. Oh. Who is it? It's Madam Benson.
1: Madam Benson? Pigeons, here I
2: come. <laughs> Just a moment. Is it all right?
1: Okay, let her in.
2: Oh, uh, come in, Madam Benson.
3: Good evening, Miss Keating.
2: I, uh... Oh, here. Uh, please take this chair. It's the most comfortable one.
3: I prefer to be uncomfortable. Sit down, my dear. Thank you. I, uh, uh... Well, I'm surprised. So am I, in my own fashion. When did you see my son last? On Tuesday. I I think it was Tuesday. Go on. Uh, well, uh, it was after office hours. I know. He came here, stayed a few minutes, and left. His chauffeur reports to me occasionally. Oh, that's Oh, that's dreadful. Forgive me. I'm, I'm sorry I said that, Madam Benson. What did Ralph want?
2: Well, he, he had some idea about merchandising. He, he wanted me to look up some data for him.
3: What's your first name, child? Joan. Why do you lie to me, Joan? You think of me as a hard-bitten old woman, don't you? Oh, don't deny it. But I came here humbly. All I want is the truth about Ralph. He saw you Tuesday night. He's been on a... Sp- uh, <clears throat> he's been away for three days. <laughs> I'm no fool. I have eyes. It was because of you, Joan. What happened? He asked me to marry him. And you turned him down? Yes. It isn't a coincidence that since he's known you, he's been a different man. I've been proud of him. Why did you say no, Joan? I'm sorry. Is there another man? Well, in a
2: way, yes.
3: You, uh, plan to marry soon?
2: Well, I, I...
3: Uh... Can't afford it, huh? Why?
2: Oh, what nothing? do you mean?
3: Good night, Joan, and thank you.
2: Good night, Madam Benson.
3: Oh, by the way, that picture over there, that's Mr. Chambers in our office, isn't it? Good night, dear.
2: Fred, I'm going home at five today and... Fred.
1: Well, well, do step into my office, dear, and do part in the mess. You know how it is on moving day.
2: Fred, what on earth are you doing? Well, but you look at this
1: picture. J.J. Benson employees annual excursion to Bear
2: Mountain.
1: <laughs> Funny how we both photographed cross-eyed.
2: Fred, what were you doing so long in J.J.'s office?
1: J.J.? J.J.? Oh, yes, I remember. Quaint old relic. I used to work for her until I was fired. Fred. Oh, but we've nothing to worry about, dear. We can always fall back on Uncle George. Oh,
2: darling. But she couldn't have fired you. Why?
1: Why did Lincoln free the slaves? Madam Benson is a humanitarian, even though she did say her son could do my work more efficiently. Well, come on, get your things and let's clear out of this concentration camp.
2: Darling, darling, let's think this thing over before we do anything foolish. What's that? Well, one of us has to keep working, at least until you find another job and start earning money again. Please, Fred, be sensible.
1: You mean you intend staying on here with young Prince Charming while I stand on the sidelines and cheer?
2: You talk like you don't trust me.
1: It's that weak-kneed werewolf I don't trust. And furthermore, if you don't quit now, I'm going to bust this thing wide open. I'll tell her we're married and plenty and more. And then
2: what? I'll be fired, too, and we'll be set back for months or years. Or oh, forget your pride, dear, for Joseph. Please, darling, that's for me. I've got to go. Joan, don't answer I've it. got to. Please, dear. We'll talk about it over when we get home. Tonight. Well, good morning. All right. morning. morning. You might have telephoned you'd be out all night. I waited up for you.
6: Well, that's very
1: considerate, very considerate indeed. Where are you going all dressed up?
2: I'm going to work.
1: Hmm, that's right, work, I remember now. Make a note of that, Miss Keating. Remind remind me to look for a job when I get up this afternoon.
2: Well, that's one thing we're not going to worry about. We'll manage. We'll just explain gently to Josephine that you will have to wait a bit.
1: Josephine, where's the budget book?
2: What about the budget book?
1: Well, I, I've got to make an entry in it.
2: Fred, that's not your money. Or mine either. We can't touch that.
1: Well, suppose I told you it's already touched. Suppose I told you I gambled away every cent of it more besides. Suppose I told you I'll be changing my address to the county jail unless I make good the checks I drew. What would you think of that? When did this take place? Oh, uh, last night.
2: I see. Well, you... You won't have to change your address.
1: If you'd quit yesterday when I asked you, this wouldn't have happened. Still
2: harping on that, are you? You, with your ten-cent pride, trying to make a noise like a husband, and then going out and acting like a spoiled brat... The big, strong protector of the home baking into his baby's bank. The breadwinner, the provider. Too proud for his wife to work, but not too proud to rob a baby bank.
1: What's wrong with a guy trying to make enough money so he doesn't have to stand by watching the whole Benson family trying to marry his wife? If we could afford it, I'd have a nervous breakdown.
2: (laughs) I am a baby and our home can go as long as the chamber's flag keeps flying in the breeze. You'll forgive me if I've had enough. And if you don't forgive me, I've still had enough. Coffee's on the top shelf. There's no cream. going to work.
1: Give my love to the Bensons.
2: Here's something you overlooked. Your friend, the stork.
13: (laughs) After a brief intermission, Mr. DeMille will present Dick Powell and Joan Blondell in Act Three of Model Wife. And now let's listen in for just a moment on the Johnson household. It's late. But Mrs. Johnson has no idea of going to sleep yet. Any minute now, her young daughter, Anne, will be coming home from her first big high school dance.
3: Is that you, Anne? Hmm?
2: Oh, hello, Mother. You still awake? Well,
7: you look happy, dear.
2: Did you have a nice time? Oh,
7: Mother, it was simply super. I danced every dance. And, Mother, you know what Jim Duncan said?
3: <clears throat> what, dear?
7: Jim said he wished he could go on dancing all night with me. You know what else he said? He said, Gee, Anne, you're sweet.
13: Of course Jim loves to dance with Anne. She's a typical American girl, charming and fresh and really sweet. And lots of that freshness and charm, of course, is due to Anne's wise upbringing. Her mother says,
3: From the time she was small, I have taught Anne that unless a girl is truly dainty always, no other charm counts. And it's so easy always to be sure. Anne wouldn't think of going out on a date without her Lux soap bath. She calls her daily Luxe toilet soap bath her beauty bath. We're both keen about Lux soap's wonderful active lather. It leaves skin beautifully fresh and sweet.
13: Yes, fastidious women love the way a Luxe soap beauty bath makes daintiness sure. You see, Lux soap has active lather that carries away perspiration, every trace of dust and dirt leaves skin really sweet and fresh. And here's something else. You'll love the delicate perfume Lux Toilet Soap has, the light, clinging fragrance it leaves on your skin. Hollywood screen stars, you know, say their complexion soap makes a truly luxurious bath soap, too. And it's economical as well. Luxe Toilet Soap is hard-milled, so you can use it down to the last thin sliver. And this fragrant white soap costs so little. Why don't you begin to use Luxe Toilet Soap for your daily beauty bath, too? Now, our producer, Mr. DeMille. The
19: curtain rises on the third act of Model Wife. (music) Several weeks have gone by, and the model wife is preparing to become a model divorcee. In the corner restaurant, Fred reads a lengthy legal document to Milo Everett.
1: No old men by these presents, blah, 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 blah. That the uh, party of the first part, known as Joan Chambers, blah, blah. Oh, here we are, Milo. Frederick Chambers summoned to appear in superior court. Hmm. Plain ordinary court wasn't good enough for her. Before Judge Schwiegelwasser at 10 a.m. October 10th.
10: And what am I supposed to say to Judge Schlegger, Schlegger? who's this? Well,
1: you're my proxy, Milo. Just tell him I didn't like his name, so I went out of town.
10: Oh, and you're not even going to contest the divorce?
1: Why should I? Who ever heard of laws changing a woman's mind?
10: Oh, I don't like it, I tell you. The thought of you two children breaking up distresses me.
1: Here, Milo, have another one. Greatest cure for distress known to man. I was once distressed, saw black specks before my eyes, and had to walk upstairs backward. Hmm, look at me now.
10: I can't. You keep darling like a whirvish. I mean, you're, you're undulating like a... Stop it, will you?
1: Hiya, Chambers. Hi, Joe. Say hey. Am I supposed to congratulate you on your new job? When are you sailing and why?
10: Eight bells. Want to come along? To
1: China? Oh, not for twice the tea they're giving you. I once did publicity for a South
10: American revolution, and that was enough. Anyway, good luck. Thanks, old man. Oh, so that's it. To get her back, you're going to risk your neck to make a lot of money. But you know, I kind of envy you sailing to China. The mysterious Orient... Land of adventure. Land of 400 bucks a week for six months, if you last that long. Freddy, my mind's made up. Now, I've been in Madam Benson's clutches for 18 years. I'm going with you. You, Milo? Oh, what would Emily say? Oh, she's had so much to say all her life. A little more wouldn't matter. (laughs) Well, let's get going. Without saying goodbye to Madam? Oh, that's right. We can't leave Benson's like that. We must make a gesture of farewell. Gesture of farewell. That's it. Oh, only it's too bad Madam will be too busy this afternoon. It's grand opening of Ralphie's new perfume department, you know. Oh, grand opening, huh? Well, Milo, why are we dallying? There's men's work to be
1: done. To Madame Benson's. Huh? <laughs> here we are, Milo. J.J. Benson, Couturier. Enter, my friend.
10: Wait a minute. Will they let us in with that cat you bought? That's not a cat, my friend. That's a little skunk. (laughs) Oh, well, that's all right, then. Come on.
0: Close your eyes, Miss Kendall.
14: Imagine yourself clad in old lace. The fragrance of lavender floating through a moonlit garden.
0: Just a a minute. (laughs) Something has come into the garden.
3: Good afternoon, madam. Afternoon, Ralphie. Why, look. It's a... P- oh, let me out of here.
0: Well, what's wrong, madam?
3: can a little
1: fur coat take a walk if it wants to? Oh. Listen, you hoodlums, take that skunk out of here. Wait
14: till J.J. catches uh,
1: you. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, now, you better listen to your mama. The customer's always right, and we're customers. They're the biggest bottle of perfume, if you please.
14: How much is this, my good man? Thirty-five dollars.
10: <laughs> so sorry it slipped. Oh, uh, here's a nice one. Look, Chambers, if I wasn't a gentleman, I so sorry. It slipped. The little gentleman accepts your apology, Milo. Detectives, grab these men. No, you don't. Hey, now, this is a free country. Here, here let
14: go. Free speech. Take let, them into Madam Benson's
10: office. Let go.
14: Let go. This is an outrage.
3: I tell you, it's an outrage. Perhaps you're aware, Mr. Chambers, that I could have you placed in jail for a long time.
1: Leaving a perfectly clear field for your son to marry my wife. Not bad, Madam Benson.
3: Say that again.
1: Why? Don't tell me the idea has never occurred to Madam.
3: It hasn't. How long have you and Joan been married?
1: We spent our honeymoon weekend two years ago working overtime on your fall inventory sale.
3: When did you separate?
1: About 12 hours after you fired me. Any more questions? No? Well, I'll ask you some.
3: Madam Benson, has it ever
1: occurred to you what a wicked old fluff you really are? (laughs) Well, if it hasn't, you ought to stop sometime and find out what the people around here think of you. I don't mean the old fossils who buy your clothes. I mean the people who sew and design and sell them, the little people. Connie Gordon, who you fired for supporting her husband when he was out of work. Ike, your $16-a-week elevator man who smiles like an angel at your swank clients and hates you. Milo, who's had everything decent knocked out of him after 18 years under your thumb. Oh, you know, I could go on all day, but what's the use? You're too far gone. But one of these days, madam is going to fall off her little niche. Smack on her million-dollar bustle, and I hope that day is soon. Good day. Sorry if I haven't disturbed you.
0: <laughs>
14: Miss Keating is staying for dinner, Henry. I'll let me know when my mother gets home. Very good, sir. Joan. Yes? Why didn't you tell me before about, about your being married?
2: What difference would it make? In six months, I'll be divorced.
14: Reno could untangle you in six weeks if you'd let me help you. I'm interested in what happens after that.
2: After that, I'll be free as the wind and happy as a lark. Joan... Please, Ralph. You're very sweet, but don't say it tonight.
14: I warn you, I'll say it twice as loud tomorrow night.
2: Good evening. Oh, good evening,
3: Madam Benson.
14: What kept you so late, darling, picking up broken bottles?
3: Yes, and a few other surprises as well. Joan, your husband and I had a very interesting monologue this afternoon. He's a more positive character than I thought. I'm afraid I'm not much interested in his character, Mrs. Benson. I'm getting a divorce. Really? I'm quite relieved. In that case, his going away can't matter very much to you. Going away? Yes, to some outlandish place. Uh, Milo told me about it. China, I think. China? But why China? Heaven only knows. He's accepted some idiotic job that'll probably cost him his life, but pays him handsomely. Well, good riddance, I say. Come, let's go to dinner. Wait, Mrs. Benson. He, why, he, he
2: couldn't do a thing like that.
3: Look at me, child. It's bad enough for old fools like me to make mistakes. Young people mustn't. His boat sails in an hour. But he can't. He he mustn't.
14: Joan, do you love him? Uh, No. Then let him go.
3: No. He's not going to kill himself over me. Come along, my dear. Ralph will drive you to your apartment.
14: Ralph will not. What? You heard me, Ma. I refuse to be an accomplice in slitting my own throat.
3: All right, then. I'll drive her. Come on, child. I haven't driven in 20 years. I suppose you've noticed that. There he is.
2: That's Milo's car. He's, He's putting the grips in the back. Go get him, Joan. Fred! Fred!
0: Oh, hello.
2: Fred, what are you doing?
1: Why do you always have to make things so tough?
2: Tell me the truth about this China business.
1: Are you sure you'd recognize the truth if you heard it?
2: I can tell you why you're going. You didn't know what it was all about when you took the job, and now you're ashamed to back out.
1: And why is the ex-Mrs. Chambers-to-be so concerned about what I do? Believe
2: me, my sweet, I don't give a hoot what you do. I only hate to see a man I once respected making a fool of himself because of some melodramatic whim.
1: Don't be reactionary, Mrs. Chambers. Where would you be today if Columbus's ex-wife talked him out of traveling?
2: <laughs> what about your, your food over there? Charmaine always did make you bilious, remember?
1: Oh, my stomach's been much better these last few weeks.
2: Hello, Joan. Here's the last grip,
10: Fred.
1: it on. Let's get going.
2: Fred, please don't go.
1: Now look out or I'll miss the boat. Miss
2: it then. Fred, remember what you said to me. Here we are fighting when we should be loving. I remember that. That's all I have remembered since you went so far away from me.
1: Far? I've been a couple of blocks away all the time. No, you
2: haven't. You've been on the other side of the world and it's time you came home.
1: No... No, it wouldn't work. We'd be right back where we started. Fred! Sure we would. Bills and budgets and you're working so that we could have a baby with a silver spoon and a fancy wardrobe. No, let's that's, that's forget it. We'll try it my way this time. Goodbye, Joan.
2: Goodbye. Don't forget the picture postcard.
1: Hop in, Milo.
3: Joan, is he going? Yes. Over my dead body, he's going. Get in my car. Mrs. Benson. Get in, quick! What are you going to do? He can't make that boat if his back wheels fold up, can he? What? Watch it, darling. I'll make a cripple out of that car in one fell swoop.
2: Ah, oh, Fred, you fixed the bank.
1: Sure. The day you left, I fixed it.
2: Oh, darling, I love starting over. It's like being on a honeymoon again.
1: Joan... Joan. Maybe we should answer it. Oh, let ring.
2: Might be J.J.
1: I told her not to call me at these ungodly hours.
2: Maybe it's important.
1: Who's the master of this house?
2: You are, my lord.
1: Okay, I'll answer it. Hello?
7: Hello, Western Union calling. Is Mr. Chambers there?
1: Yes, this is Mr. Chambers.
7: We have a telegram for you. Collect.
1: All right, go ahead.
7: Please rush $200. My wife is going to have a baby. Signed, Uncle George.
1: Take an answer. Collect. Sorry, so is mine.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And that was a double bill of Joan Blondell Radio Classics. Just wonderful to hear her in action. Okay, let's find out then. Who the hell was that Hollywood legend?
7: Well, I saw a picture in the Sunday Times today of a man that we all like very much that's in pictures, in a new picture, and he's a, he's a very sad-eyed, innocent villain. <laughs> Are you by any chance a sad-eyed, innocent vil- villain in pictures? Yes, I'm afraid I oh, am. <laughs> <no! laughs>
5: yes, it was Peter Lorre. Did you get it? I wonder... I'm sure you did that's all we have time for anyway in this week's bonus show coming in a day or so i discuss a joan Blondell movie you should definitely avoid <laughs> my goodness so keep your ears out for that one to gain access to all the bonus shows and for your ticket to classic movie night every sunday as well as hundreds more hours of bonus audio you can sign up now at www.patreon.com slash or click the link in the show notes. Until next time then, my friends, take wonderful care of yourselves, and bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, And in return, you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank
10: you. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands.